Hello and welcome to East Norfolk's very own politics podcast, In The Loop. This week we are talking about Boris's fines and investigation by parliamentary committee, the results of the French election, the current Rwanda situation, and the results of the French election. We may do an update on Ukraine depending on time, but before we start our topics, our editor has a word to say. Yeah, hello. We just wanted to say thanks and pay tribute to the second years that were on the podcast, Daisy, Kira and Amelia who have now stopped being on to focus on their exams, and we wish them the best of luck in their exams and everything in the future. I'm joined by Ewan and Sam, and the first topic we're going to discuss is the fines fines for Partygate, with the Prime Minister facing a potential three further fines upon the fine that he's already been given, and Rishi Sunak, I believe, has also been fined. Yep. So what are we thinking about this? I mean, it was obvious from the start that he broke the law, He's been fined once, and he's broken the ministerial code. But because it's a convention, he can stay for as long as he wants, unless the Sue Gray committee finally comes back with a full report. I'm getting a little bit sick of talking about it, too. This is all you can hear recently. Yeah, well, along with the Ukraine crisis, it's about all you hear. Partygate this, partygate that, fines this, fines yeah. that. But at the end of the day, the Prime Minister did break the law. Many members of the Cabinet broke the law, including Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, who up to this point, people saw as relatively clean. He was very favourably, I think he was the favourite to be the next Prime Minister at one point. Yeah, and I, and I think, well, it just shows that every politician has some skeletons in the closet. No, Sue Gray's report can be so damaging that it could end the, um, the Prime Minister's Premiership. A report from the Times, so it's a valid source. So, finally, we might see the end of Boris Johnson. I wouldn't mind that, I can't lie, I <laughs> do want a better government. Not saying who, but um, anyone will do that isn't Boris Johnson. Wait, who would you have replaced him though? I oh, see, I feel immensely unrepresented by um, uh, British politics. Wouldn't mind a social democrat, or a certain man that <laughs> Dylan likes to mention a lot, Sir Keir Starmer, but yeah. So, um, the Justice Minister has resigned over, of course, the Partygate revelations, so he's, he's following ministerial code, he's, he's broken the law, he's resigned. So, should, in your opinion, Boris, Rishi, everyone else do the same? Yes. I mean, it's not really, it's not really a question if it's stated in law, which it is grey area stated in law, he should resign. It's in my in my start. opinion, in my opinion, it shouldn't really be a question of if; it should be a question of when. Plus, surely you'll have a moral obligation if you've broken the ministerial code and the people's trust to just instead of dragging your whole party down to just resign. It's better for the party. It's better for the people. Yeah, and even if it means replacing the entire government, it could result. Well, considering it's a Conservative party, no. No political views are representative of the college, of course. But considering it is the Conservative Party, probably wouldn't get a better government, but we'd get a government that is perhaps less Boris. Oh, see, I disagree there. Theresa May was quite good, and uh, Cameron was also a really good spokesman. But uh, Boris has really dragged down the image of the Conservative Party. I'm not a Conservative myself, but I, I feel like just insulting the entire party as a whole, blaming it on Boris Johnson isn't a good idea. I mean, I think that if you have the entire executive resign, you really have to call an election because you'll be bringing in a new executive with a matter of, with you know um, 
a manifesto that hasn't been elected for unless they followed the previous one. But the 20, I think the 2019 manifesto is kind of a bit naff now, three but years later. We need one from um, Starmer and from Labour because he hasn't released one yes. yet. But you could also argue to that that, sure, if you replace the executive, there's going to be a whole new manifesto that people haven't voted for. But, well, while I understand the idea that the manifesto that would be brought in with the new executive wouldn't be voted on. You could also argue that because of the public's tendencies in voting, well, I understand that if you replace the entire executive that they will technically not be elected with a manifesto. You could also argue that the image of the Conservative Party from the prior government would be so tarnished that if they did call an election, it would be pretty easy to call anyway, and it's very unlikely that people would vote entirely just based on a manifesto because, let's be honest, a majority of the British public does not read party manifestos. I think at the moment Labour's at a 12-point lead above Conservatives, last time I checked, which is pretty decent, but it still doesn't mean they'll win because what? votes don't necessarily translate to seats because of our system. What is a point representative of? A uh, point is 1% of the vote, so it's oh, 12% above uh, the Conservatives at the moment. I like looking at all the opinion polls. That would polls. change a lot of marginal seats, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. I think in the local elections coming up, the Conservatives are really mm. going to take a hit. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Most definitely. It's going to be interesting to see what people mm. think now. Yeah, maybe. A year on. And maybe after all of this, the Red Wall might come back. Hopefully. As a Northerner yourself, you'll quietly agree. <laughs> no extra words should be said about that. <laughs> Right, we're now going to move on to the results of the French election in which Emmanuel Macron has defeated Marine Le Pen in the election for the second time in a row and becomes the first Frenchman in 20 years to be elected as president twice in a row. See, I don't see this as a win for the French people considering they haven't had the choice of a prime minister for, I think it's been about 10 years now. And... Macron's ideas for Europe are a bit mismatched. He, no one really knows what his entire um, his entire plan is for France and for Europe as a whole. But Le Pen's even worse. She wanted to leave to the she wanted to leave the um, NATO's collective security agreement, where all armies would work together, and the Schengen area, which is, albeit us not being a part of the European Union, is a bad idea for European unity, especially against the Russian crisis. And she was a she was a Russian supporter until recently because of the war. She changed tactic, but it hasn't worked. So, Emmanuel Macron had won by 58.55% to 41.45%, which is great margin than probably initially expected in polling. It was, it was he's won, I think, 3% above. He was at 55%. Uh, yeah, because I believe it was well. after the French overseas territories voted, because they voted quite soon before the actual mainland of France. They voted a lot for Le Pen. They they were quite majority in favour of Le Pen, who um, let's just say some of her policies were not very um, liberal. They're quite controversial. They're quite controversial because she she won more than 13 million votes, which is, I believe, more than she won last election. Yes, it is. The far right is rising in France now. That's interesting. Yeah. And she wanted a platform of tax cuts Tax. Uh, she wanted a platform of tax cuts to tackle the high cost of living, bans on Muslim headscarves in public, and referendums on immigration controls. Which I will say, the fact that it's going to a ref, well, would have gone to a referendum, is at least somewhat positive. 
But we all know that if she'd got in, how they would have voted. Well, it depends. The French people see mostly um, immigration in a negative light. Quite a few do. There's a lot of polls that have been taken on that. But surely it's not... The people shouldn't decide on immigration controls in such a such a broad sense, especially under Le Pen, because her, her election campaign is a little bit full of lies, if you look into it a bit. Yeah. Is Le Pen for leaving the European Union as well? She was, but she's had to change her tack because no one really supports that. Well, then how are you going to um, change border controls, which are in the European Union? You, ca- you can have border controls in the EU. She'd leave the Schengen area, so there won't be free travel between uh, oh, EU nations. But... A lot of nations, because of terrorism and immigration, have already put up border controls as well. They're quite they're quite good for um, European standards. You can still cross over quite quickly. You just need to show your passport. That's interesting. I think Hungary have put in a lot of them because they are immensely anti-immigration as well as Poland. Yeah. <clears throat> the 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 only I think the only real issue with impl- implementing border controls while still in the European Union is that at any point the EU could just implement law to basically say make the Schengen area mandatory for all member states and then you're a bit screwed but for now there's not much that France can't do I see I don't think I don't think they can implement law to um, make the Schengen area mandatory because it's a quite hard process to get into the Schengen area Croatia's been at it for quite a while they I think they're going to be the next nation to join it but I think I think it is mandatory already but it's it's an immensely hard process to get into it I'm pretty sure quite a few of the uh, nations that joined in 2007 haven't joined yet, like Bulgaria and Romania. Yeah. And back on the topic of France, I think the one thing that worries me most about this election result is, yes, while Macron did win, a lot of it was just because of, say, more left-leaning or centrist voters just wanting to keep the far right out. That's one of the main reasons Le Pen didn't do as well as maybe initially expected. It was the the split votes of Mélenchon, the far-left candidate, that I think has given Macron his win. He actually thanked them in his his speech. He thanked them. Very interesting. I mean, I don't think the French people have a lot of choice in their political leader, because Macron again has run, Le Pen again has run, both of them have reached the final, Macron's won again. Which is, it's a victory for France and a victory for European unity. But for the French people, I'm sure many of them feel disenfranchised by this. Absolutely. And while I understand tactical voting is, in essence, just a part of politics, there's not much that can be done to avoid it, it does leave a lot of the French people feeling underrepresented, really. Yeah. I think if you use a voting system that's proportional, you do cut out a lot more um, of tactical voting. Obviously, you have SV, which is only really... I, I wouldn't argue that SV's proportional at all. It's just what they use in France, isn't it? Um, neither is far past the post. If you go to a system like um, STV, you cut out tactical voting quite a bit, in my opinion. It works well in Germany. Their coalition's doing very well so far. They use AMS, don't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah. We love AMS. I'm more of an STV. Right, is that all we really have to say on... Right. We're now going to move on to... Um, the Rwanda crisis in which the Home Office is planning to send migrants to Rwanda for processing, which <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think is a bit far, more than a bit far. Uh, the Israelis tried to do this, I'm pretty sure it was in 2018. Uh, it didn't work, and it's definitely against human rights. But um, I don't think many people support this 
in the cabinet, as in morally, but they have to because it's a part of conservative policy. But Priti Patel needs to get her head out the sand and realise that most people don't agree with this scheme. It's a horrible idea. I don't know why you'd send them to a nation that is historically very bad with human rights abuses and has had a genocide. And not only that, but these people, at the end of the day, a majority of them are just simple asylum seekers. Like, they're looking to get out of these conditions, and we're basically just putting them right back into terrible living conditions. It's not fair. should not be occurring under any government, and of course it's under the government now, which doesn't seem to solve any problem they're put to. It's a very good way to draw attention away from party gamers, isn't it? It is. It makes everyone focus on another bad thing the government's done instead of the other bad thing the government's done. Yeah. I don't think it really helps their case. Well, as they say, all publicity is good publicity. Right? <laughs> yeah, true. But yeah, I guess this is one way for the Home Office to just sort of distract people from Partygate and the Ukraine crisis, which we may or may not have time to move on to. But anyway, let's carry on with Rwanda. So, it was supposed to be originally just uh, young males who were going to be sent to Rwanda, mm. but then obviously you've got the position of, one, you're cutting off on the basis of gender, which is a really bad idea, and two, you're splitting up families, which I know this, it's, it's, it's quite confusing. Males, um, how, how is that affecting families? They're, they're removing, oh, I see, I see, they're removing yeah. ma- males. For, it could be... Yeah, like an uncle. It, yeah, yeah, just like... It's not just single males, sorry. I mean, it's just... Basically, men that will travel with their families, they'll send yeah. the men back, but keep women and children in the country. Apparently, it's it's changed a lot because Priti Patel in Parliament seems to not know her own scheme. And while she was talking to Theresa May about it, they both had differing opinions on it, despite it being just one act, which yeah. makes it a little bit confusing. The, a bit of good news is that this Nationality and Borders Bill is currently going through Lords, so there is very high chance, almost certain chance really, that the Lords will have something to say about it. I can't I can't imagine them not doing anything about it. But then again, of course, you've got the game of sort of political ping pong where Lords can send it back to Commons, but they'll just send it right back to Lords and so on and so forth. And eventually Commons will just be able to push it through anyway and we'll be stuck with this. The thing is, I'm sure the Supreme Court can look at the Human Rights Act and determine from the National Indian Borders Bill, that it breaks certain parts of the Human Rights Act. And that depends on whether the government changes that to a Bill of Rights anytime soon. Yeah, and even if the Supreme Court doesn't do anything about it, which, again, highly doubt it, it also depends on the support that this bill has within the party, because, obviously, you have the party whips, but at the end of the day, there's only so much that they can do. If a member of the Conservative Party, because, obviously, I don't think any member of any other party would want this bill going through. But it, it only takes, say, maybe 20, 25 members of the Conservative Party to say, no, we're not putting this through, See, this is for the it same, to get completely scrapped. It's the same with Partygate. They've got the option to get rid of Boris, but then they'll get no funding. The same with this. If you don't agree with this policy, you could just get no funding from the whips. They'll decide by looking at what, what uh, you vote on how it goes through the Commons. I, I would argue that this economically makes no sense because you're removing all of your work, all the possible, um, sorry, Working immigrating class, yeah, the work, future workforce, the future workforce, and then you're keeping the mothers of the children. So all, all we're doing is we're increasing how, how many benefits we have to put out, but we're not increasing 
capital that's coming in through workplace. We have a workplace deficit right now with jobs like healthcare and construction really, really low unemployment where you could just train these men into working into these... Into and, these. and you've got to remember, these are the jobs that, as weird as it might be to say, that the majority of people born living in the UK don't really want. And they're the jobs that the migrants will gladly take and gladly fill in for us. See, that's the problem that Brexit created. Are we, the reason we have such a deficit of workers is that most foreign workers have been sent home. Like in a, even just something simple as picking, um, picking fruits, that was done by migrant workers. We have a massive deficit in picking fruits, truck drivers as well. Canada has that problem as well, but less so than us. Yeah, and that's just simply because no one who was born or lives here wants to do it because at the end of the day, they do get paid an absolute pittance for it. Like, But the migrant workers, often they just take what they can get. It sounds bad, but at the end of the day, they take what they can get and the jobs are there for them and we're just not letting... We're, if we're not letting him into the country, then we're going to lose out on a large chunk of the workforce. Obviously, the women that obviously may not be sent to Rwanda because of this bill, I'm not sure if it's changed or not. I haven't really read up too much on it. Obviously, a lot of them can go into the workforce, but what about children? That's, that's going to be more strain on schooling, more strain on public money, more strain on welfare, and we're not getting like a boost in the workforce to really help that. I'd just like to say migration is mostly good for economies, especially in a country that has a labour deficit like our country does. And I don't see the problem with accepting migrants that have travelled all the way across continents to come across and have a better life in the UK. Especially when I get the housing crisis is on, but we have ways to solve it, the government just won't do it. And we have enough space for migrants. Way more than enough. Buckingham Palace has 600 rooms. Or something yeah. like that. Could house <laughs> a couple hundred Ukrainian refugees or any other type of refugee that comes across the channel. You, you could house more migrants in Buckingham Palace than arguably you could in an entire village. Mm -hmm. True. And the Queen doesn't even reside there now. She's living the rest of her days in Windsor Castle because she's immensely old now. How old is she now? 96? 96 as of a couple of days ago. So congratulations to the Queen as well. Congratulations on your 96th birthday. I can't wait for the, uh, <laughs> the, the couple of days off we get in the summer. Unfortunately, we don't really have time to speak that much on Ukraine and there's not really that much to add anyway. So that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'd like to remind you, before we end, all views expressed on this podcast are the debater's own, does not represent East Norfolk Sixth Form as an institution. Thank you for letting us keep you in the loop.